just uh, want to start uh, our message blog by just asking a simple question. Um, how many of you have ever been exposed or read to uh, anything of Chronicles of Narnia? Can I just see your hands? Here's what I remember about Chronicles of Narnia. I was so thankful when Amber got to be about six, seven years of age that I no longer had to read The Cat in the Hat, Green Eggs or Fried Eggs or whatever they were. We were able to actually do some reading in the evenings together and uh, she and I could join along and progress along at some kind of level that uh, I was just thankful not to have some kind of rhyme and jingle. But the fellow that wrote that picture here behind me on the screen, uh, by the name of Clive. Now, I'll just leave it sitting there with you, the name Clive, okay? Not to be com uh, confused with Chive, all right? But Clive Staples, you remember that last name? Lewis, C.S. Lewis, one of the great intellectuals of the last 100 years. By the way, he died the year I was born, 1963 and uh, had all kinds of incredible intellectual assignments. Lewis was an atheist. At least he didn't start out or end up an atheist, but there early in his adult life, he was a professed atheist. Professor of literature at Oxford, came back and had a, chaired the whole department on mid medieval, medieval history at Cambridge and uh, did some incredible writing, incredible writing in the Christian world. Think about mere Christianity and some other of the great works that uh, he wrote because later in life, he came to a very solid position publicly on where he was with the Lord, following the Lord and serving in his local church very faithfully. In fact, some of the great writing that he did was during World War II. One of the great works that he ever wrote, The Problem with Pain. And the thing about C.S. Lewis is he was a bachelor, well, most of his life. In fact, when he got to be 58 years of age, he met an incredible woman, fell in love, and got married for the very first time at age 58. Four years later, Joy Davidman, an American writer, his wife, died. And when she died, C.S. Lewis was totally devastated. In fact, he was in total shock. Looking back historically and through his writing and the very things that he shared, his world had just been shattered. And so he wrote one of the smallest things that he ever wrote was a mere 60 pages and he just entitled it, A Grief Observed. And I don't know if you've ever been exposed to a grief observed. It certainly is not any kind of work that you would think that C.S. Lewis would have written in terms of a helpful tool for someone to walk through grief. It's really more of a journal. It's a journal of what he felt and what he experienced. And I want you to listen to just a small part of it today. I just read it to you. The very first line begins, no one ever told me that grief feels so much like fear. 
I'm not afraid, but the sensation is like being afraid. I keep feeling a fluttering in my stomach, a restlessness, and incessant nagging pain. I keep swallowing. And then he wrote these words, cancer and cancer and cancer. My father, my mother, my wife. And I wonder who is next in queue. He went on to say, I not only live each endless day in grief, but I leave each day thinking about living each day. Meanwhile, where is God? This is the, one of the most disquieting symptoms, he said, of my grief. Go to him when you, your need is desperate. Go to him when all other hope is vain. And what do you find? A door slammed in your face. And then the sound, the sound of a bolting, not one bolting, but double bolting from the inside. And after that, silence. Now, just with you joining with me this morning for our thoughts on one of the great Christian writers that has ever existed, to hear those words from C.S. Lewis is really quite astonishing. And where is God? As we seek him in these desperate times, C.S. Lewis says, if you'll listen carefully, you'll hear the silence and then you'll hear the clicking of those bolts, the double bolting. And so this morning, I just suggest to you as we return to our series in the book of Psalms, a very important, important pointed element I want you to consider with me on this, the given Lord's day. Is it quite possible I mean, for someone that's deeply devoted and deeply dedicated to go through a stretch of time where they feel lost and God feels far. Is it possible that you and I may go through these stretches in life when we feel so lonely and wandering and lost and God feels so far. And today I'm gonna invite you to open your Bibles to the Psalm, Psalm 42. I'm gonna ask that you join me there. And as you do so, we've looked at Psalm 101, Psalm 46, Psalm 73, Psalm 37, and Psalm 42 today. And you'll have a quiz on that at the end of the message. We've just been looking at these incredible, in some cases, fairly obscure psalms and others a little more prevalent. But today we come and look at one of the psalms that is a lament. Now, I remind you that about one-third of the 150 psalms are classified by what we would say they're psalms of lament. In other words, the psalmist is talking to God when things in their life are not okay. 
That's a simple definition of a lament. When someone is speaking and communicating with God, when things in their life are just not okay, they don't resemble anything okay, they don't resemble anything as what we might call normal, their life is upside down. And one of the great opportunities that you and I have out of studying these laments, these psalms where someone is able to speak to God about the challenges that are going on in their life is those laments, they coach us. They speak to us and instruct us and they provide mentorship in our lives so that we might know what it is to be honest with God when things are not going well. Psalm 42, as we read it in just a moment, is a psalm really of devastation. The psalmist here is devastated. I'm not talking about devastation like losing your car keys. I'm talking about devastation of like losing your career, losing a child, losing your marriage, that kind of devastation. In fact, as we read, we'll sense, we'll feel, we'll be able to empathize that the psalmist's life evidently has been capsized. And all he really wanted was just to experience the experience of knowing that God was there and he was close. And yet, as we hear from his own words, he feels like God is so very far away. And it's out of this dual assault his life turned upside down and the fact that he senses that God is a long way away from him that he writes these incredible words. Now, if I have your permission today, we're gonna to do something a little bit different. Normally, when we communicate God's word, we communicate it and we make application as we walk along in God's word. Today, in these 11 verses, I want you and I to read it first. And not just read it through, but I'm going to read it and we're going to make some comments about it, but we're not going to worry about application. We're just going to make some observations as we walk through these 11 verses and then at the end of our message, for you intensely loyal note takers that would never want to go to Jalapeno Tree without, with a blank unfilled, we'll come back and get all four of those essential four blanks filled in at the end of our message. Now, some of you are looking at me like, I don't think I like this new way that you're going about. I sense a 12:15 departure time today. The saving thing for you today is it's only 11 verses. How much could one person say about 11 verses? <laughs> don't answer that. Let's read together, beginning in Psalm 42, with the word of God there near you, let's hear the word of God. As we begin reading, I just jotted down in verses one and two this word thirst. It becomes just the essence as it leaps off our page as kind of the essence of verses one and two, as the deer pants for streams of water. I mean, it only takes us just a moment and we begin to what? Since a chase has ensued. <laughs> Now, I guess in this day and time, what, bow and arrow, spear, some kind of trap. But it's, it's a picture that you and I just immediately, out of the 42nd Psalm, we, we are just immediately engrossed in this, 
I, I, this, this deer that is in total exhaustion. And so the parallel, and so my soul pants for you, my God. We start to get the feeling, don't we? Look in verse two, my soul thirsts for God and the living God. When, when can I go and meet with God? We start to feel this parched, spiritually dry essence of the writer of this psalm. And then I just jotted down the word tears because in verse three, the Bible says, my tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? Whatever happened, whatever's going on here in this crisis in the psalmist's life, we begin to see quickly how emotional this is how much agony and pain that this psalmist is experiencing, how upside down his life is. Sorrow and sadness evidently are stalking him by day and they're haunting him by night. Evidently, he's not sleeping. Look at it again. He says, day and night. It's like, hey, I I can't even rest well. And by the way, we see that these that are around him that are giving him discourse and communicating with them, they're not his friends. Did you catch that at the end of verse three? And people. Now we all have peeps, but people something different. In fact, these kind of people that say to me, hey, in a what? A way that is demeaning. Where is your God? We start to piece things together. They want to hurt him. Where is your God now, they ask. And then in verse four, I just jotted the word down, memories. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Man, he's reaching back. He's reaching back into those days when he's had tremendous worship. And he's just remembering in the midst of this heartache how great things were. Did you notice the description there? This festive throng as the worshipers. He took great solace and, and, and great encouragement from the worshipers that were around him. You and I take that same encouragement, don't we? We love it when we come together and we join together in corporate worship. And then in verse 5, now... He does something that most of you would never admit that you do. But by the end of our message today, I hope I convince you that you need to do this more often. He is going to now talk to himself. Look at it in verse number five. Well, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me out of his suffering he begins to speak to his inner soul. Isn't that interesting? Now look, because really, we have this big transition here in the middle of what we call a verse. Right here in the middle of chapter, in verse number five, we have that statement, and then look at the end of verse five, we have this statement. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The key word there is yet. The song, really, this psalm should end there, shouldn't it? 
There's the resolution. He's gone through a tough time. He's, he's been through some difficult days. And at the end of this time frame, this stretch, he has found his anchor once again, his anchor in God. But that is not what happens. In fact, we begin to see, when we get to verse 6, this ping-pong of the heart. This whole psalmist is going to loop back around again. Look at it in verse 6. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, and Mount Mazar. Evidently, the highest northern mountain, what was it, 9,300 feet in the air, snow cap for a good portion of the year. And evidently he has remembered now one of these fertile places where these streams originate from the snowfall and the runoff, maybe a fountain area. And as he begins to share this, He's thinking back and he's circling back around. Look in verse seven, almost looks like a Jonah statement here. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. It's as if he's caught up in a riptide and he's being pulled out to sea and he's caught in one wave after another. I know that as we talk about someone's life being upside down, I know this as a pastor. Some of you have may come to this place and you would share with me today, Pastor, my life is as good as it's ever been. Then these words are in preparation for your days ahead. But we also know that there are those that come to services and time of worship like this and you're in the midst of that upside down concept. And it's not one thing, is it? The right of the Psalms says something very important here. It's this what? This riptide. It's these breakers sweeping over me. Did you catch it? Repetitively. In many of your lives today, it's not one thing. It's one thing after another, after another, after another. And we sense this exhaustion. We sense, we sense this devastation. Look in verse number eight. Circling back around again, by day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Here he is, God, my rock. You're the great, all-powerful God, but yet you have forgotten me. And then look what he says at the end of verse number nine. Why must I go out or go about mourning oppressed by the enemy. Then look as we end the, the little psalm. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? There it is again, those enemies around me. Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you, why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him my Savior and my God. I would just suggest to you today that before I share some things with you, I, I want to make, um, and our lawyers in our congregation will be very happy that I'm about to make this statement. I offer you something today that has no money back guarantee. 
I offer you today words from God's word that have always sustained us. But whatever you may be going through today, I offer these four suggestions from our text today in hopes that this might be a great encouragement to you as you walk through difficult days. Now there's three kinds of people in the world, only three, those that have walked through difficult days, those that are walking through difficult days, and those that will walk through difficult days. Can I hear a baby amen? And so I'm gonna encourage you today to jot these down. Four things I wanna share with you right out of this incredible lament, out of this incredible song. Four guides, if you will, in days that we feel lost and when God feels so far away. And by the way, those are pretty important days, aren't they? Those are important days because people actually quit the faith in these times. There are people that quit the faith and become professional cynics. There's people that leave and abandon their faith eternally disillusioned. And so how you and I approach these kind of days is very important. And we, again, the lyrics for life. That's what so endears the Psalms to our hearts. There are moments of worship and celebration in the Psalms. And there's other moments that we can just feel the pulsating agony of the psalmist. We think about when David wrote about that little baby dying because of his sin. What a gripping moment. And we have one of those gripping moments in front of us here in Psalm 42. Four things, let's jot them down. Number one, I would just suggest to you today, straight out of our text, it's important to tell the truth. When you and I are walking through a time of challenging days, when we feel like God is far away, and when we're hurting and we feel lost and disillusioned, it's extremely important for us to tell the truth. Did, didn't you sense that in Psalm 42? Psalm 42 was brutally honest, wasn't it? I kept mentioning to you how he loops back the ping pong effect of the heart. Isn't that just like us in moments of excruciating pain? We're all over the place. It's hard for us to put together a chain of succinct, consistent thoughts because our emotions are so geared up and our lives are such under such strain. And if there's anything that I could share with you today is understand this, there's gonna be some times in your life, in my life, it's gonna be okay not to be okay. And I would just encourage you, did you sense that out of the psalmist's heart? He's, he's searching, isn't he? He's searching for someone. And it's not those people that are saying, where's your God? It's not those people that are outside the faith that said, see, man, you've been a churchgoer, you've been a God worshiper, and now look at your life, it's in total chaos. It's not the people that are ridiculing, it's someone that would come along to help him. And so out of this, tell the truth, the word tell is very important to us today. It's important for us to find someone that we can trust. 
I just wrote in my notes, someone with a strong biblical spiritual pulse. I don't mean someone that's going to try to heal you with one verse. It's not the healing that's important. It's that you will not walk through this alone that's important. And might I just add the tell the truth, tell. It's, I would not suggest that you tell everyone. I mean, at the diner at 7.30 out here next to Interstate, at 7.30 a.m., when Jessica, your waitress, comes up and she says, how are you doing? And you say, not so good. My wife has left me. I'm, I just lost my job. I have two more weeks of pay, and I think they're going to foreclose on my house within two months. That may be a little more than the waitress can hand, handle. And so she takes all of that in, and she looks back, and she says, Hmm, did you want wheat toast or pancakes with that? That's why. I know Oakland Heights Church, Baptist Church, will be, I guess, labeled old-fashioned when it comes to our heartbeat about what was once known as Sunday school, small group, connection group. You define it however you want. But it will forever remain one of our big three. Everyone needs a small group. You see, the relationships that you invest in when nothing is going wrong, those relationships are the, one, this, the ones that are going to sustain you when everything goes wrong. And there is that transparency and authenticity. That, those elements that so many of us are having trouble with. You mean we actually share our hearts at church? You, you mean it's really more than parking, attending, giving, and leaving, and lunching? Yeah, there's a little bit more to it than that. Telling the truth. There are times when it's okay not to be okay. Number two, jot this down. Visit the past. We see from the psalmist in what, verse four and six, we, we see a very important element here when it comes to us walking through difficult days. And that is, we get, it's, it's healthy for us to visit the past. Did you see in verse four again? He says, I remember. Go down to the verse six again. I will remember. Over and over we hear the echoes of those words. Now it's important that we don't live in the past, but it is important during difficult times for us to at least visit the past. This darkness, this distance that we may feel around God and toward God are very real. But I would just suggest to you that the experiences that you and I have felt with him are just as real. Two days ago, my phone rang and it was a voice from my past. Dr. B.J. Davis had called me from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Passing through East Texas, he said, heading over to Marshall to do some fishing. And just that connection with that voice 
reminded me about one of the great experiences that I had in New Mexico, Glorietta. Do all, do all of you have a place that you can go back to? Not just a physical place, that's so important, but a physical place maybe that you perceive was a catalyst where God and you, where you really felt close to him. For me, one of those places, Glorietta. Lifeway sold that facility, caused a big uproar out in the Southwest. You probably knew very little about it. But for those churches that owned property and cabins there, it was a, it was a monumental move. But I just remember all those years walking among those mountains. And many times in difficult days, if you and I can capture going back, going back to those special places where you and God walk together. See, that's what Psalm 42 coaches us to do. And it, and it may not be necessarily a, a woods, a, a camp out location. It could be a retreat. It could be a conference, a place that you heard God's call on your life, a place that something when God spoke to you was awakened within you. And in that place, when you mentally go back, that reconnection is so very important. Can I just suggest to you that in your darkest days, visit that place. Visit the past. Number three, I'm scared to give it to you. <laughs> because you're going to think the pastor has lost it. So I need some of you to re-engage and awaken. If you want me to point you out, I will. You two in the balcony, I see you. I need you to reconnect and stay with me here. Otherwise, you're going to go to lunch and you're going to say, hey, did pastor talk about us talking to ourselves? Number three, talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. In verse 5 and verse 11, in verse 5 and verse 11, we just read where the psalmist began to speak to his own soul. He spoke to himself. Now, maybe just out in the margin somewhere, write down this name, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the British preacher, spent much of his life in London, wrote this book, and it's really an amazing title. I mean, it's gripping, it's captivating. The name of the book, Spiritual Depression. I can see that you are underwhelmed. But much of that book is based on Psalm 42. In that book, Jones makes the observation that you and I spend way too much time listening to ourselves and not nearly enough time talking to ourselves. Now let that for just a moment on this Sunday morning soak in and penetrate. You and I spend way too much time listening to ourselves and not nearly enough time speaking and talking to ourselves. It is when we speak into our soul in an affirmative way, it helps lead us where our faith, you and your faith will come out on the other side in a positive way. He preaches to his own soul. Did you hear it? 
Why, my soul, are you downcast? It's like, hey, Michael Cook, what's up with this depressed spirit? I'm speaking into my soul. Why are you so disturbed? What's going on within you? Rather than listening to self, start talking to self. I don't know about you, but a lot of my self-talk, much, much of the time is defeatist. It is the negative. And so I just toss out to you, what if instead of laying there at four o'clock in the morning and not being able to sleep and being restless and hearing from the inner self, what if you took a proactive approach and spoke to inner self. Now, I just want you to know when some of you see me in a few moments at Jalapeno Tree, Arlie, this is your cue. Turn the camera, okay? I asked Arlie a little early, did you see Arlie jump up? That was great. I asked him, I said, Arlie, I'm gonna run around on the platform today. He said, please don't do that, Pastor. You just stay right there. Did you see him jump up? Uh, I love that. He didn't know I was gonna do that. Arlie, can I take one more step? When I'm walking to Jalapeno Tree and you see me in a few moments speaking to myself and you look around the parking lot and there's nobody around, know that I'm speaking into my inner self with positivity. I'm convincing myself of how cheap the bill's going to be feeding Garen Powell, my wife, and others. But are you able to take away this nugget? so often in the darkest days. When you sit there on the couch alone, it seems it's always alone, isn't it? One of the things I always pray for, you go to a funeral or a graveside, you're gonna hear me ask God for this. I guess after hundreds of memorial services and funerals, I've just learned to ask because I've seen so much of this. So much hoopla around death time. And then in three weeks, it's a ghost town around the individual. I know the widow is spending most of her time alone now. The cards have stopped. The meals have dried up. Still a sparse call once in a while. Still a note here or there. It's not like no one cares. But the essence is this. You've gone from no downtime to immense downtime and you're all alone. And it's in those moments of aloneness that everything can turn emotionally. And so it's in those moments, if we speak to ourselves, it can make a world of difference. Number four, and we wrap up, remember what you believe. Remember what you believe. Verse nine really captures this. There's three or four places here we could highlight, but verse nine is probably maybe one of the most gripping moments. In fact, look at the verse, I say to God, my rock. <laughs> Did you hear that a few moments ago? I mean, here's that ping pong element of life and the heartache. I know he's there, but he doesn't feel close to me. He's still my rock. He's my safety, he's my security, here's my stability. He's all of those things. And then the following question, did you catch it in verse nine? He's my rock. Oh, by the way, God, have you forgotten me? 
Duh, that doesn't make sense. It's, if, if he's your rock, he's always there. If he's your safety, security, and stability, he's always there. Why are you asking? And I would just suggest to you that when we are in these days of great lament, we've got to be remembering the basic truths of what we believe. You see, it's the cross and the empty tomb that speaks to us. In fact, the cross and tomb have spoken to us, haven't they? Throughout history, they've spoken to the heart of the believer as the cross continually speaks of volumes of his love, his mercy, his tenderness, his affection. In fact, didn't Paul write about that in Romans 8? He made that incredible statement who God did not spare his own son, but he did what? But he gave his son for us all. Does that sound like a God that's left you? But he doesn't just speak out of the cross. He speaks out of the empty tomb, out of the very belief structure of who we are. In our faith in him, he's even able to predict your coming resurrection, my coming resurrection. You see, in our darkest day, aren't you thankful? In our darkest days, aren't you thankful that we still look forward to a what? A resurrected body, a resurrected Lord, on a resurrected planet, what does the Bible say? And God will make everything new. There it is. If you ever hit a stretch, where um, you feel lost and God feels far, I want you to understand there's a ton of unhealthy stuff you could do. All kinds of stuff that's unhealthy. You could pretend and unfortunately, this is a heartbreak to say this, in many of our evangelical churches, this is what we train people to do. Not knowingly, not openly, but there's just certain things we don't do. There's just certain things we choose not to do and not to look at and not to consider. And many times the ugliness of life, the heartbreak of life, we do all we can to cover it to shelter people from it. And so I would just suggest to you, we learn at a very early age, don't we? To act like everything's okay, even when it's not. You and I are great at that. How are you today? Oh, fine, fine. We are experts at acting as if everything's okay when things are not okay. You can numb out, you can zone out, you can check out, you can become a professional cynic, you can become a professional skeptic. And that's why Psalm 42 is so honest and it's so healthy because it helps us be able to better understand how we feel as we're paralyzed by doubt. Tell the truth. Visit the past. 
talk to yourself and remember what you believe. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? We're going to take just a moment to pray especially today for those that are in this congregation and those that are viewing from all over the country that are in the midst today of a very, very lonely place. We're going to take a moment to pray that God would use the 42nd Psalm to light a fire in their life. Is it possible as we pray today for a deeply devoted follower of Christ to have stretches in their life that they feel lost and God feels so very far? Lord, as we just gather on this special day, we do so huddled around your word. Thank you for these lyrics of life that you feed into our hearts and have been feeding and will continue over these next several weekends. So Father, for the student that's here today that I mean, they have captured the essence so very well. How you doing? Everything's okay. But whether it's a dating relationship that's come unraveled, whether it's choices that are creating guilt, whether it's a grade structure or parental expectations that are being unmet, Father, I just pray in these moments of whatever they may be walking through, out of this lament, you might bring to them the understanding of how important honesty really is. How important going back to that anchor moment in their life and their faith, their belief structure, even them speaking into their own soul, how important it is for the husband that's trying to find his way after he's picked up and trying to pick up the pieces. Children, taking care of them on his own now. For the man, for the woman that's trying to pick up broken pieces after a vocational change. After a downsizing from this COVID, no one's to blame. It's just a mess, just like your life. And here you are out of the anguish of that moment, lamenting. And each of the five times that I've asked today, you've said in your heart, yes, every time when we've asked the question, is it possible for a deeply devoted follower of Christ to go through stretches? So Father, as we just lay out your word today, thank you for the the honesty, thank you for the sincerity. And Father, thank you for the coaching today. How you mentor us with your word, how you instruct us and guide us. And Father, we want you to know today that even in the midst of suffering, 
those days that we have walked through, are walking through, or shall walk through, we will still trust you. We know you are the rock. You will not move, nor can you be moved. You're the stability, you're the security of our lives. And we'll trust you in the good times and in the times of great challenge. And these words in prayer we ask in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.